You're listening to Highlights from One Planet Podcast, interview with William McDonough, author of the book Cradle to Cradle, Remaking the Way We Make Things, pioneer in the concepts of the circular economy and cradle to cradle design. You can access a portfolio of his work online through William McDonough, Waging Peace Through Commerce. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. If you look at the world as natural capital, then you see it all there for our use and all has value and we can go get it and it's valuable and we take it, whatever. But what I see there are sources from nature and that what we want to do is bring them into our systems of production and design and convert them into resources. So I don't like it when people use the word natural resources. I say natural sources. And we want to convert them into resources. Welcome to the circular economy. Because we just doubled their quantification by using them again, once, twice, three times, four times. See? So that's why we created the circular economy based on cradle to cradle. So you have regenerative materials in the biosphere circulating, and they can grow, and soil is decreeing. And we have to take carbon out of the atmosphere, and nature based solutions are ideal. Regenerative agriculture, things of all kinds, absolutely. It, but I don't know if it's enough to get the carbon levels to the right level. We're actually going to have to do other forms of carbon removal to to make up for what we've done up there. We've, because we've been using fossil fuels as the the power of the circular economy, that people in circular will say, "Oh, I'm better for the environment because I reduce my emissions." Well, that's nice, but you're still using carbon as an energy source. See, for me, we created something with for the G20 called the circular carbon economy, which goes with the circular economy. And the reason is we look at carbon is because carbon is not the enemy. I hate it when children think that carbon is bad. And then they go to school and learn, out that, learn that they are carbon. Oh, no. And their parents are telling them their goal is net zero. Oh, that's so depressing. Because you tell the kid, my goal is nothing, and you're making my life miserable because I have to feed and clothe you. I mean, what a sad story that is. I mean, carbon is a fabulous thing. We are carbon. And then if you just say, I'm going to reduce this by 20% by three years or something, what you're telling us is what you're not going to do. Well, that's interesting. But if you think about that, if you told a taxi driver, quick, I'm not going to the airport. I mean, it's information, but it's not that useful, really. So what we want to know is what are you going to do? So what does 100% fabulous look like? So we put these together in a graph where we say, these are things we're going to stop doing. These are things we're going to do more of. We put it together. Yeah. So that we created a protocol for that, which is pretty exciting. So we inventory, assess, optimize. So I think that's the kind of thing that needs to happen now. Because net zero is a noble goal, but it means it was something wrong. And we want to be less bad. And so to your question, I think for everybody who wants to know what to do, you have the same question that Aristotle had of Plato. Plato was focusing on human values, the good, the bad, the beautiful, the ugly, the right, the wrong, the moral, the immoral, ethical, unethical, that. Human values. So we go from human values to principles. What are the principles involved in those decisions? And that's why I wrote the Hanover Principles in 1991. 
design principles for sustainability. And I still use them. There are principles. They're, they're like the fulcrum that we use for all our levers of change. You need something that doesn't move if you're going to move everything. Something that doesn't move. These are what we believe in. Right? And then we go to visions, and that's my job. I'm a professional visionary, really. Okay. And then we go to goals, like a city that powers itself, feeds itself. Anymore. And then we go to strategies. So how am I going to do that? Then we go to tactics, like what can I do right away? And then we go metrics, what am I measuring to understand progress? And then I show the value, which is the number. Right? That's where I show the value. Like this was worth doing because it makes us much money or does this or that. But you'll notice that it starts with a different question than what is my number? And then I benchmark it against what's going on in the world. And I try and do less. Well, that's not that exciting, really, because your goal, you can't get to your values from value. You can't get to what you believe in from a number, but you can get to a number from what you believe in. Okay? So start with what you believe in. Start with the right and the wrong and the good and the bad, and then move to the less and the more. Because less bad, by definition, is bad, just less so. So. It's not good, but it's important to do. Please, everybody, be less bad. I'm not saying don't be less bad. I'm just saying go have some fun. Get out there and do something more good. Okay, but it has to be principled. Okay? So that's how I would suggest people take it in and let it come from behind the mind. Do the right thing and then do it perfectly, because if you're doing the wrong thing perfectly. You become perfectly wrong. The idea of minimization, which is such a central part of eco-efficiency and zero, zero goals, is minimizing. So I think when people think about what it means to minimize all the time, it gets kind of depressing. So if you think about even fractal mathematics, it's about growth. It's not about subtraction. It's about form and beauty and growth. Amazing. With income from outside the system in this case, solar energy. So, uh, so I think for our cultures, if we can start to understand that there is an abundance if we can reuse everything, there is an abundance if we treat it with grace, dignity, and, and systems like this, celebrating growth, well, then we can celebrate each other. At that point, perhaps commerce itself could be shifted from one of greed and limits. So the question of modern business is often, how much can I get for how little I give, right? It's like, gee, I want it cheaper and I want more, right? So how much can I get for how little I give? We all compete for that. But then the question I'd like to ask is, how much can we give for all that we get? So it's about actually generosity and abundance, not limits and greed. And when you think that way and you do that, you get growth. So instead of a triple bottom line, that a lot of people use in eco-efficiency and say it's bottom line, but that means there's profit in the business and there's something left over for society and there's something left over, you didn't destroy the whole environment, whatever, but it's just economics. And triple bottom line, it's what managers do. Manage it to profit. What executives do, we call the triple top line. So executive's job is to create revenue for the managers to manage it. And leave some profit. See? But the first job is to create the revenue. Then you manage it. So 
So I think we get people to realize there's revenue generation going on here. This isn't just about being mean and sharing some little thing that's despairing. It's more about how do we create this world that we can share because it's a human right and it's much more beautiful. So it's dreamy, sure. It is. It has to be. But like I like to say, it's not an excuse for bad behavior. I was born in Tokyo, and I grew up mostly in Hong Kong and in the Puget Sound, Washington State. So as a child, I used to hear the farmers come to collect our sewage and at, at night, and they would wake us up, and my mother would sing us back to sleep and telling stories about poop and honey wagons and the night soil. And I... I, it's so romantic when you're a little kid, you're three years old, and your mother's singing you songs in Japanese about poop. It's fantastic. So I always thought that the farms and the cities were one thing. So that that has held with me. I still do. So I see a sewage treatment plant and say, that's not a sewage treatment plant. That should be a fertilizer factory. I mean, change our language, change the lenses we use to see things. It's actually nutrient management system on a technical level because there's phosphate in there. Why would we send ships to Algeria to get phosphate when it's right there in front of us, you see? So, so that, so waste equals food. I like starting with fundamentals. So, and I love fractals. I love the discovery of the fractal in mathematics was relatively recent, but it's the mathematics of growth. And when we look at mathematics before, we realized we could do linear, we could do geometric, arithmetic, and so on, but we didn't do the mathematics of growth, right? Until we saw the fractal. And so once you see that, then you realize, like Murray Gale Mann, who discovered the quark, and then went on to do complexity theory and chaos theory and the butterfly effect, great physicist. Um, he, he said after he won the Nobel Prize that we have discovered something phenomenal in theoretical physics, which is that the more and more beautiful a mathematical formula begins to appear, the more and more likely it is true. Wow. So this is truth in number and truth in beauty. This is Aristotle meets his teacher, Plato. So, so for me, when I look at these things, the idea that we could be self-similar at every scale is very interesting. That's why with Cradle to Cradle, we design at the level of molecules, buildings, regions, planet. It's all one thing. And so even E equals MC squared, I think, is a fractal because it's self-similar at every scale. It's, the, it's reduced to that wisdom. See? So it's not just smart, it's wise. So when I hear smart city, I think to myself, wise city because just being smart can be a mechanical exercise with artificial intelligence and machine learning but it's artificial intelligence right it's data where for us cities actually have meaning life has meaning not just dimension so so i like the idea of wise cities so a wise city wouldn't just reduce its carbon emissions it would find out let's grow food Let's reuse our phosphate. Let's uh, you know shade ourselves. Let's uh, share the abundance of of healthy places. So it becomes a just a different model, which is 
based on nature and it's fractal. So it's like the tree. I design buildings like trees because, you know, humans need to be quite humble, especially designers, because let's face it, it took 5,000 years to put wheels on our luggage. We went to the moon before we had wheels on our luggage. Think about that. If you look at the cities of the past with their streets and, and public spaces, most of the time, they really understood the laws of nature. They knew where the wind was. They knew where the sun was. They knew where the water was. You know, and they had to work with fundamentals. So they have good bones, you know, good shade patterns, good, good flow of all kinds of things, naturally. Now, in modern life, we have other expectations, cities and so on. So, but we could also accept them as being similar in the sense that they could be renewably powered that we can be designing so we have densities, so people are within five to 10 minutes of all the services they need. So it's really an aggregation of villages uh, that you can get around without a vehicle if you want to. So the more advanced things are, are really evolving around pedestrian uh, enjoyment. And, and then you can have your life part of a, a living organism. We hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to the highlights of this podcast. If you'd like to get involved in One Planet Podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.